anyone can set up a company in about five minutes on the internet. You can have a holding company, you can write a cheque, you can give it to the party. All they have to do is Google you, basically. The due diligence is absolutely minimal. We could do it on the. We could do it in the show. The crazy thing is, we could actually, if we'd start at the start, we could be contributing to British politics by the end of the show. Twenty twenty four is our final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. My working assumption is we'll have a general election in the second half of this year. Well, what a mess. We're a failing nation. Remember what Viktor Orban said. Bring Trump back. Everything will be good. This Saturday, we'll be introducing a significant tax cut for millions of people in work, worth on average £450. And along with our borders, probably the most important thing of all, we will secure our election. The damage that has been inflicted on the public through higher prices and mortgages is considerable. This is not a soap opera. It's time to finish the job. Finish the job. We are ready to form a government to stabilise the economy. So look, I've got plenty to get on with, and that's what I'm focused on doing, delivering for the British people. We will route the fake news media right back there. We're going to route them because they've got to learn... Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. I'm your host, Marit, CEO of Strice, and in this episode, we are asking how will 2024's bumper election year be influenced by dark money? Every political election, it's pitched as the biggest and most significant, but it's hard to argue with the sheer numbers of voters involved this year. In 2024, more than half the world's population, that's 4 billion people, will be asked to go out and vote. But alongside the political promises and photo opportunities, elections across this year are set to be impacted by dark money and foreign influence. In today's episode, we discuss how does this financial crime happen in elections and who benefits from it? What tools do we have to combat this corruption? And can dark money really decide who wins an election? To dive into this topic, I'm here in London with Peter Gagan, investigative journalist at the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, and Sue Hawley, executive director of Spotlight on Corruption. So welcome to The Laundry, Peter and Sue. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having us. Peter, I'm super excited that you're here because I am reading uh, the OCCRP religiously. And I'm also a donator because I think what you're doing is so important. And there are so many crazy stories that you guys have uncovered and reported on. But why don't you tell the listeners about you, your background, and also a little bit about the OCCRP. Thank you so much, Marit. I'm really delighted to hear that you're one of the, the readers who contributes to OCCRP. And you know, I must, I cannot, it's a fantastic work that my colleagues do, and I cannot claim responsibility for almost any of it, but it's absolutely brilliant. And I would definitely recommend everybody to go and check out the OCCRP. I feel, you know, I'm delighted to be here talking about dark money. I must confess it's a subject I'm quite interested in. My last book was called Democracy for Sale, Dark Money and Dirty Politics. It came out in 2020 and it was really all about dark money in the British electoral system, how money gets into politics. You know, dark money is a phrase that comes from Jane Meyer, the New Yorker, right? And it really refers to any anonymous money, any money you can't see that gets into the political process. 
So I was looking at that in Britain over the last few years, and it's been a really interesting uh, journey and process. And I wrote that book back in 2020, maybe thinking I'd put the dark money behind me. You know, some of these things would get sorted out and we'd move on. Uh, but here we are in 2024, and uh, they're just as live issues. You know, these these ways in which money we can see. Actually, this week that we're talking, a lot of the conversation in British politics has been about this big opinion poll in the Telegraph that suggests the Conservatives are going to lose loads of their seats. The opinion poll was funded by dark money. We don't know where it comes from. A new group came up and allegedly bought this poll. We don't know who they are. So this can have a huge impact day to day on, on the politics we talk about. So yeah, it's a, it's a big interest of mine. It's something I've written a lot about. I used to work at Open Democracy. I was investigations editor there where I did a lot on dark money. Then I was editor-in-chief. Now I work for OCCRP. I run a substack called Democracy for Sale, which, as the name suggests, is about a lot of these issues too. And at OCCRP, we're often looking and asking these questions. And I think it's interesting that an organisation like OCCRP is now looking at Britain too, because we're looking at the role in which international flows of money, international flows of corruption can feed into British politics. And there's maybe a way, and I'm sure Sue will talk more about this, and we will all in the course of this conversation, that we've often underplayed the aspect of this in Britain and thought that these are things that happen elsewhere. But unfortunately, these are issues here in the UK as well as around the world. And Sue, what should listeners know about you and Spotlight on Corruption? So Spotlight on Corruption is a UK-based charity and we focus on whether the UK is actually tackling corruption, enforcing its own laws uh, and really taking active measures to end its role as a dirty money hub. So we monitor a lot of court cases in the courts and we've looked um, at a lot of UK integrity issues as well. And one of the reasons why we're so interested in electoral finance is it's it's kind of where anti-money laundering and UK integrity collide or coincide and, and mix. And I think, fascinatingly, part of a coalition uh, that we're part of is releasing polling today that shows that the public in the UK think that UK politicians are more associated with economic crime than oligarchs and kleptocrats, which is very alarming and shows That's how alarming, these for sure. scandals have really taken their toll on, on public trust. Me personally, I've been looking at the UK's role in corruption for over 20 years now. It never goes away. It develops and morphs into new forms. So let's first look at at the risk facing the election landscape this year. So, Peter, you wrote for The Guardian that the next UK general election will be the most expensive ever, with both main parties relying on funds from high net worth individual. So not only the most people going to vote, but it's the most expensive elections as well. And we are sitting here in London There's the UK election coming up. There's a lot of uh, high net worth individuals, both domestic and foreign. How sure are you that there will be foreign money involved and how it will have an impact? Well, it's interesting, as you say, this is going to be the most expensive election. It's quite remarkable, actually, if you think about, you know, why do people give money to political parties? Often, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people might do it. It might be because they're ideologically committed to the party. It might be because they want access to power. It might be because they want to, to clean their own reputations to help their kind of image in society. And, you know, it's interesting if you look at the Conservative Party, you're more than 20 points behind in most opinion polls. They're, you know, they're, they're not on course to be the next government. 
And yet the Conservatives have never raised as much money. They've raised more than £30 million since the start of last year. So these are huge sums of money for British politics, really big sums of money for British politics. Um, often, and what's interesting about that is you're seeing more new donors come into political space. You know, if you look at historically in Britain, donors gave reasonably small amounts of money. You know, £50,000 a year would buy you access to a thing called the Leaders Group of Conservative Donors. So that meant you could meet the Prime Minister and you could meet ministers for £50,000 a year. If you're very rich, that's not all that much money. Fast forward to today, that still exists at £50,000. If you look at donation registers, a lot of people give £50,000 to Conservatives. But you have somebody like Mohammed Mansour, who's an Egyptian-born uh, billionaire. He's written a cheque for £5 million to Conservatives and promised to write more. He's now the co-treasurer of the Conservative Party. Although, interestingly, he's not actually listed on their website, I noticed quite recently. That might have changed, but it does suggest they mightn't want to, to publicise or officiate that, that relationship all that much. But that's there. And you're seeing more people like that. You're seeing more people who I think you could say are at least looking to cleanse some of their reputation or to help their image in society in London, buying access to politicians, by, you know, by political power by giving large donations. So it depends what your definition of foreign is. I think sometimes we can become a little bit obsessed with foreign and I'm not, I'm a foreigner too. Uh, so I'm not all that comfortable sometimes with that. But I think in terms of people having an outsized influence on the political process or outsized access to po the political process through the sums of the, they donate, yes, we're definitely in that space because what you have to remember with British politics is we're not like America in that there's not so much money, but also we're not like America in that most people do not give money to political parties. 90% of the income of a political party comes from 10% of the people who give it money. So it's a small number of people and their portfolios and their uh, who they are, quite a few of them, yes, are born uh, outside the UK, but a lot of these people who are born in the UK have a lot of business interests that span the globe. And I think that's the bit that is particularly concerning. It's the fact that it's a small cadre of high net worth individuals who are going to underwrite this next election. So, Sue, people can donate and uh, without it being anything corrupt or trying to influence in any way. But I know that Spotlight on Corruption, they recently gave out a report on how corruption and elections fit together. So how does it look in practice if someone is then trying to influence and be corrupt with their donations? So I think... The really alarming thing in the UK is that the Electoral Commission itself has said it's not clear that the law actually bans donations that come from the proceeds of crime. Uh, so there, there's no law to stop you making all your money from fraud or money laundering and then donating it to a political party. And in fact, we've seen several cases uh, recently uh, of someone who Uh, was actually being investigated and has subsequently been convicted in Germany for tax fraud, uh, who was a donor to both parties. We've seen another individual who is under investigation for money laundering in his home country in India, who has been donating to one of the political parties. So it, it's a loophole, shall we say. And I think it's not the only part of the picture, though, because I think it's much bigger than crime it is about not so much whether this comes from you know foreign sources but whether there are foreign interference operations happening so for instance a, a big case recently involving someone who's been named in a case in relation to the Azerbaijani laundromat now you know at the same time we know that there was a very big kind of foreign influence operation 
by the Azerbaijani government to try and get European politicians to support their side in relation to a conflict they're involved in. And so what people should be thinking about when this person donates is, you know, why are they donating here? What do they want out of this donation? That's the issue. Are we too open to having foreign governments influence our politicians to speak out in their favour because they're being paid either through foreign trips abroad or through donations? That's a problem. And then separately, there's a problem whereby people who are you know, basically either suspects or, or, you know, criminals making donations as part of a reputation laundering issue, which Peter has flagged, which is that, you know, certainly we understand from this particular individual charged with money laundering actually in India, that this is very much a donation for the domestic audience to show how respectable they really are. You know, they, if you give a donation, you can get a photo with the Prime Minister of Britain. And this helps you seem like a very respectable person that is, you know, frankly, a little bit above the law. So you have sort of two risks. One is, you know, criminals or bad players who want to clean their reputation and look like prominent members of society. And then on the other side, you have the foreign influence, foreign governments trying to influence an election. And just to get back to the, you know, that second part, are political parties then expected to do KYC checks, AML checks, you know, all of the things that a bank need to do on a transaction to to understand, like, how are political parties tackling this? This is a big part of the problem. I think we both of us would say the same thing. This is the issue. It's actually worse than it was at the last election because you have an electoral commission which is supposed to regulate our electoral process, which is no longer fully independent. The government is basically, the executive has taken control of large swathes of setting the electoral commission's remit. As Sue has written many times, and I've just copied it from her, we go into an election in which we have no body, we have no crime agency that's overseeing political contributions. So if you are a political, so you, say you are a political party, and someone comes along with you to you and says, here's, here's a cheque for £500,000. This is a real life example. And this person is not a UK citizen, but they have a holding company in the UK. So all, you can give through companies as well. So all you have, anyone can set up a company in about five minutes on the internet. You can have a holding company, you can write a cheque, you can give it to the party. All they have to do is Google you, basically. The due diligence is absolutely minimal. And it's not, the onus is on the party to check if it's a, if it's a registered nation, but either the person is on the electoral roll in the UK, which they can check, or by Googling company size, you can check if they've got an active company. And the company has to, in inverted commas, be active, but the limits of active seem very, very, very low. Like the conducting of business in the UK seems yeah, to be especially here where it's so easy to set up a company in companies' house. We could do it on the. We could do it in the show. The, the crazy thing is, we could actually, if we'd start at the start, we could be contributing to British politics by the end of the show, yeah. anonymously. And that is a huge problem. It's a huge, huge problem. And there's so little onus on parties to to carry out due diligence. Like basically, the onus is on nobody. Frankly, the electoral commission have. Their job is, is, is again, just to, search, just to check if someone's on the electoral roll, effectively, if they're a company doing business. And this is the real problem we've seen. And there's nobody out there that's actually asking these questions. If, as is currently the case, somebody's awaiting trial in bribery, on bribery charges in the US, they're not a UK citizen, they are not UK resident, they've given money through a shell company in the UK, Surely the owner should be on there at some stage. Someone should be asking a question about where does this money come from? Sue, do you think then political parties should be subject to the same regulations as a bank who is uh, very much obliged to know 
who their customers are, monitor transactions and document risk. It's not just banks, it's charities, for instance. Everyone has to do more checks on where they get money than political parties. And you've had a whole series of people from the Intelligence and Security Committee, members in Parliament, to the Committee on Standards and Public Life, to the Electoral Commission itself. I mean, just uh, last week, there was a comment from the chair of the Electoral Commission saying political parties should be doing proper checks on their donations. We have been trying to promote this at Spotlight, and we've actually drafted a Know Your Donor policy for political parties. Oh, Know Your Donor, that's a new... uh... KYD. A KYD, exactly. And we invited all the political parties to a workshop to discuss it and sign up to it. We did get two of the parties. One of them was a no-show. I could name and shame, but I think you can probably guess who didn't turn up. Uh, But we haven't yet got people willingly sign up. And part of the reason is it's a game of chicken because you know, ultimately what you need is this to be a requirement on political parties and for there to be penalties if they don't do proper checks and for someone like the Electoral Commission to actually be policing it. Um, And a kind of voluntary charter isn't really going to work at the end of the day, but, you know, we're going into an election not just with, you know, significantly higher amounts of money, but really, really significant loopholes. As Peter's referred to some of them, you know, there's the Shell Company loophole, There's also the fact that, um, and this actually happened, it was an investigation by the NCA, you can gift money to someone. So from abroad, uh, you gift it. You could be um, Vladimir Putin. You gift it to someone who is a permissible donor. And as long as they then are the one who makes a donation, there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. At the same time, the UK has just changed the law so to really expand the overseas voter franchise. So there is no limit now and the checks on um, overseas voters, how often they have to check in has been reduced. So there's no problem with that, except it's being done at a time where the checks are so weak and the Electoral Commission, as Peter said, has been majorly weakened. So you have potentially up to 3.5 million additional voters at this coming election. These voters can donate. They can set up unincorporated associations, which is another major loophole where unincorporated associations donate to a political party, but they don't have to do proper checks on who donated to them. So it's the combination of massively expanding the franchise with this series of you know very major weaknesses Um, And it's very disappointing because the government, you know, have been asked in Parliament multiple times now to introduce uh, this requirement for for parties to have checks. And they have said everything's fine, nothing to see here. This February, we're asking KYB My Valentine. The podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world is hosting our first ever live onstage recording from the UK capital. We're recording The Laundry Live on February 8th at Shoreditch Studios, bringing you killer keynotes, expert guests, hot takes and networking too. If you can't make it to London, we'll also be streaming the whole thing on February 9th on YouTube. Go check out the links in the podcast description to get your free ticket to this event or to sign up to our live stream. Choose us this Valentine season. There is a multitude of problems, many layers to it as well. 
And uh, yeah, it's uh, shocking when I hear it, you guys talk about it who are so into it and uh, definitely not something that we do want in our society because corruption is one of the detrimental forces to society. So having laid out the problems, we need to look into the solutions as well because, I mean, we should be able to solve this. So let's look at the positives here as well, what we can do and what we can change. So firstly... How aware do you guys think politicians are? How aware are they of this problem? Because surely it's got to be an opportunity as well to be a, a politician who says, okay, we will do KYD and we will do checks and we are against financial crime. But as you said, there were some no-shows. But what do politicians think of this? And Maybe you want to go first, Peter. I think in general, unfortunately, the way like British politics is quite, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite idiosyncratic, and it's often seen as like it's here this kind of it's a bit of a cliche, but like the general election is six hundred and fifty general elections. We you know we have a first past the post system. It's quite unlike continental Europe in terms of how voting works. So pretty much every MP reckons that they understand how the system works for them because they kind of have to. It's not like a list system. It's not like a system where you. Your, your party puts you on a list and you get elected. So, so in the UK, it's quite unusual. And I think that, you know, I think that contributes to this sense where overridingly when I talk to MPs, some MPs really care about this and they can care about it across the piece, that's for sure. And there's MPs I talk to frequently about it. But for a lot of MPs, if they don't care about it, they're kind of in this way of like, look, I understand how it works. It works. And when we get into power, it'll work for us. This, frankly, is always the case. It has been the case for a long time in British politics where there's a sense of like, A, MPs mightn't feel like there's much many votes to be to be won in this, um, but also there's also a sense in which it's like the system works for us. We I, I, we understand the system. When we're in power. We'll get money. If you look at you know it's a two party system. If and when Labour are in power, they will feel like we can get money from high net worth individuals. We can get money from unincorporated associations. This system will benefit us too. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons why it kind of got supercharged under Tony Blair. This kind of way of raising money. And at the time, Labour were happy for it because they thought we'll always be in power. Then the Conservatives get into power and they start raising all this money. And it's it's a kind of an arms race, I think, is what we're looking at now. And I think both sides in the arms race actually show no sign of stopping, actually. It's been interesting. I feel like the Labour Party rightly understood uh, two, three years ago, you know, the PPE scandals, corruption, actually started talking a lot about it. It's probably the first hit that they really had on Boris Johnson at the time. And the further Labour have got to the, into the polls, further ahead they've got, the less I think they really do talk about these issues and talk about them in a substantive way outside of a general context. We don't hear about changes to deal with the loopholes we're talking about, actually. There's very few of these that Labour have said concretely they would do something about. And, and that's really what matters. Who is the government in power? Because the government in power is going to, to legislate and do something. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't see And when I was writing my book, I spoke to a number of politicians who, who kind of said the same thing to me. It was like, look, we feel like we understand how this works. So, you know, works for me because I can get elected. Yes, I think this is a bad thing. Would I like to see changes? Of course I would. But why should this be the um, uh, the hill I die on? And one final comment on it too is if you think about, you know, we might talk about lobbying, which is also something I'm interested in. A lot of MPs go on into jobs with a lot of the companies that lobbied them as ministers or, or have an expectation of doing that. So it's kind of a both sides of this that we've got problems. Do you agree, Sue? Well, I, I think politicians really, really should care because I think if you look at the surveys uh, by the Electoral Commission on public attitudes, they're really, really alarming because what you see is that the the amount of the, the percentage of people 
who think that there's no, not enough transparency in political finance, has almost doubled since the last election. At the same time, the percentage of people who think action will be taken against uh, someone or a party that breaches the rules has halved. Uh, so you've got those, you know, less people think there's less transparency and less accountability. So it should be something that politicians care about. I think there's the issues that Peter's talked about is that it is, you know, this is the system they know and the system that works. And I think ultimately they're mainly focused on, you know, how do I win? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I do see some signs of hope um, because when this overseas voter uh, regulations went through Parliament, Labour did put down marker. They couldn't oppose it for parliamentary process reasons, but they said, you know, this is going to increase the risk of dirty money. And they are actively thinking about you know, what they could do in this space. So it's not that they haven't signed up you know, at all. And we may see some positive signs like them increasing the Electoral Commission's uh, independence. But it, it, at the moment, it's still work in progress. But isn't this an argument for stricter regulations on, let's say, PEP checks? So everyone who is a politically exposed person, we should... You know, in the anti-money laundering legislation, we should put even tighter controls on these people. What do you think, Peter? I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's in reality, I think that Nigel Farage, Coots banking scandal, I think it's probably knocked back a lot of that quite a bit. I could be wrong, but it feels like, you know, there's a sense in which, yes, in the anti-money laundering space, and Sue knows way more about the AML world than me, like, and my colleagues at OCCRP do too, like, Yes, we're very used to this idea of PEPs as being someone that carries a significant risk, etc. I feel like the public conversation around that in Britain is now like, oh, it's unfair to attack someone because of their political views. So it's become slightly weaponized in a bit of a culture war in the UK in a way that like, I think does make action on this. I think it's, you know, clearly it's the right thing. Clearly it's a problem if someone can effectively launder their reputation. People, you know, in clubs in Mayfair, not far from here, that's effectively what you can do. You give money to political party, you become rehabilitated, you get roles in government bodies, you get you know, you get all of that. That's what comes with it. That's why a lot of people give money to political parties in this country. That's seriously problematic. But unfortunately, it's become almost like I think it's actually had the opposite effect in the UK, whereas in other countries being politically exposed makes you more likely to face, face attention. In the UK, actually, I think it's quite a useful cloak because it means people, you know, If someone asks questions, it's because he's a conservative donor, he's a donor to this or to that. It actually is quite a useful way of sidestepping uh, attention. So do you think we should have stricter legislations on uh, people who donate money to political parties, Sue? Uh, I think one thing that would make a really big difference uh, is that if there was a legislation that donations can only come from UK economic activity and profits... That would cut across a lot of these issues. It wouldn't solve them all because, for instance, you know, you, we've had people who've become very integrated into UK society who hit, has emerged, you know, they've still had contacts, uh, for instance, with, um, you know, Putin's inner circle. Um, but it would go a long way to stopping, for instance, all these new overseas voters potentially making quite dubious donations. It would make sure that, you know, foreign peps aren't able to make money through gifts. So I think that if there was one change that we were going to make, that would really be very simple. And, it, you know, this is a, a, a UK democracy. It's not about keeping foreigners out, but it is about, you know, we want people who've got an interest in the UK and the UK public. So it seems like a perfectly reasonable ask 
that you should only make donations from genuine UK economic activity and profits. Another thing I was thinking about, so a lot of Russian high net worth individuals obviously have um, been hit by sanctions. How will the Russian influence this year's UK election? Is there a change due to all of the sanctions or how do you see it? I think it depends what that means. You know, I guess you'd pr- I'd probably want someone who's more of a Russia expert, but I guess there's, there's in term, terms of talking about UK politics, there's definitely been political donations from people who have made lots of money in post-Soviet Russia. People like Lubov Chernuka and people like Alexander Tomarko. Pretty much all of them would claim to be critics of Vladimir Putin. Now, I think it's fair to say the, the vast majority of them do. So there's, there's kind of questions about the like the relationship, say, between like Kremlin politics and British politics through donations. But there's still a big question about reputation laundering and how you, you know, how you buy access into politics through those donations. Um, Chernuk in particular has given a lot of money to British politics and been part of a thing called the advisory group of conservative donors where she's been uh, apparently on record as saying like we should lower taxes. So there's a question there about just Russian or non-Russian, just that access level of being able to lobby ministers that you're giving money to to bring in policies that would benefit you way more than the amount of money you've given to the party. Um, the second question I think is 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 the question of influence operations. You know, and, you know, it shouldn't be forgotten that like Britain has not been very, you know, Britain's been very public with sanctions and stuff, but Britain also helped Evgeny Prigozhin, the late Evgeny Prigozhin, to sue the journalist Elliot Higgins in London uh, only a couple of years ago, only shortly before the invasion of Ukraine. So Britain has not actually had a very stellar role in in standing up, not just to oligarchs, but to people with direct ties to the Kremlin. In terms of where, where Britain is at, I think, with influence campaigns, it does look, if you look at how poorly funded our, in, our electoral infrastructure is, the Electoral Commission, the NCAs doesn't seem to want to get involved with political issues too because it's been burnt in the past. There isn't, you know, that all suggests that if you were looking to run an influence campaign, Britain is pretty ripe because there just isn't the focus when it comes to politics. We're not asking basic questions about where money comes from. So you know, it wouldn't be that hard if someone wanted to do it. One of the things that I'm, you know, Thinking about solution to this is just how little I knew of this before doing these 20 minutes of conversations with you and also just how maybe education and educating the public about this should be some kind of top priority as well. Obviously, you know, we're trying with this podcast, but, you know, it's not it's just so much uh, that one can do. But I think education of the public should uh should also, like, we should figure out a way to do that. Can I add one quick yeah. thing, uh, which relates to the education of the public, because I think one of, we focus quite a lot on, you know, big donations to the main political parties. But actually, if you speak to people at the Electoral Commission, what they're really worried about in terms of this foreign interference, um, or that they see as very high risk, is actually money going into campaigns and smaller parties in marginal constituencies. And they would say, you know, if you want to influence this coming election, um, you would say fund an anti-ULES campaign in a a marginal constituency or or maybe, you know, the Reform Party or or, or possibly even, you know, the Greens or just some of the smaller parties. So I think that's a question that we have to address as well when we look at this, that, you know, that's why actually educating the public is really important because it does matter who is behind these campaigns. It, actually, it does. matters a lot. We're coming to the end of the episode, so we're going to dish out some quick-fire questions. I'll say a sentence and just think of the first thing that comes to mind. Peter, do you think the amount of money spent directly impacts the outcome of an election? 
What is such a hard question to say yes or no to? I think um, yes and no. I think it, but I think that people, you know, it's it's without money, political campaigns can't happen. Sue, can dark money and corruption decide who wins an election? I think it can, but it doesn't always. But it can have a significant impact uh, on an election, but also on the tenor of the election and the kind of tone with which it is run. Which current candidate globally would have the biggest impact on financial crime? Good or bad? Good or bad, which candidate? I think, well, unfortunately, I think if Donald Trump wins in, in 2024, that will have a huge impact on just about everything. When it, you know, The amount of dark money that swills around Donald Trump is, is absolutely massive. And I think if anyone is liable to really change the tenor, definitely for the worse, it's the second term of Donald Trump in the White House. And Sue, do you have a one candidate for the good? Well, if Labour got its act together in the UK and commit to some pretty strong, robust measures, then that could be good. So if you both had a magic wand, what is the one tool that could be used to effectively fight this corruption in this bumper election year? Oh, a magic wand. Oh, that's a very good question. Oh, what would I do? Um, I think we do need much more transparency. I think, you know, the the issue of big tech and big tech's role in democracy, the only, only visibility we have is Facebook's ad library, which Facebook brought in about five years ago now, actually. And there is no other visibility really on any other platform. I think that would make a, that would be very good to see. It's not the only thing, but it would at least give you some of those small campaigns. Actually, Facebook ads are one of the few ways you can see them. So I think something like that would definitely help. And Sue? I, I, if you're looking globally, that transparency and agreement that you should know, you know, who is making donations, I, I think it's pretty astonishing you know, how many countries don't have that as an absolute requirement. And obviously, we're lucky in the UK that we do have that. I think if you're looking at more mature democracies that do have that, then the next level asked would be proper caps, actually, on donations. And finally, are 2024's election free and fair if this isn't addressed? I think there's a very real doubt that you can't really have completely free and fair elections where politics can be bought in the way that we've talked about. So. You said it perfectly, Peter. <laughs> I would fully agree with that. And that brings this spin of the laundry to an end. Peter and Sue, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? You can find me on, I try and avoid Twitter these days, actually. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, my name is Peter Gagan. I have a Substack, Democracy for Sale, which publishes pretty regularly, often wish investigative stories about actually some of the issues we've covered today and I also work for the OCCRP. We're at www.spotlightcorruption.org and we're also on LinkedIn uh, and at at ncorruptionuk on Twitter but go for a LinkedIn always first. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who is listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalogue and follow The Laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. To get in touch with The Laundry team, you can comment on the Strice LinkedIn page, my LinkedIn page, or email laundry at strice.ai. Your host for this episode was me, Marit, our producer was Matthew, our engineers were Andrea and Dominic. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strice, the AML automation cloud. If you're looking for an effective AML solution for your organization, you should vote for strice.ai. See you next time. <laughs>